You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. Mikey Anderson to the puck. Anderson pinches, sends it back for Athanasiu. Athanasiu waiting, shooting, he scores! It is episode two of our second season, and we are in season. We're playing hockey. Since we last spoke to you, the National Hockey League has gone through an entire week of games, and uh, yeah, we've had some games postponed and a few COVID issues, but by and large, I mean, a week in, and honestly, I don't feel like the talk around the league is, oh boy, you know, we're we're in trouble. The protocols aren't working. Like, it seems like, for the most part, Jim, that uh, we're going to have a season here. <laughs> we're going to get through this. Yeah, you know, uh, it's something that, as I've mentioned previously, just the document that was created with the protocols, to me, is so impressive about how many people were, were brought in to discuss, go over, and use the the science and medical knowledge just to try to get it as correct as possible. And then, you know, we've been around, uh, you know, Darren Granger with the Kings, uh, Chris Kingsley with the Kings and their staffs, of course. And just to see the attention to detail, having said that, you know, we, we know what's going to happen. We know there's going to be postponements. We know it's going to be there, but, uh, I just, you know, it, it's, isn't it up to the individual like most yeah. things, right? It's yeah. up to the individual to, to lower the risk as much as possible. Yeah. Hey, I'm fully expecting, and this is not to disparage anybody on the on the team, I'm fully expecting we'll get caught up in some sort of either COVID issue or postponement. It's just, it's inevitable. And if you walk into it with that expectation, then it feels a little bit less crazy when it does happen because, let's face it, the Kings haven't been on the road yet as of this taping. They will be over the weekend in St. Louis and Minnesota, but... Man, uh, I look at uh, I look at the way the schedule works out with travel, and I, I I have I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that we'll we'll get through this thing without any trouble, uh, or at least you know relatively speaking. I, we're we're calling games in an empty building. We had an opening night that was quiet and different, and yet when I when I put the headset on, it, it's still hockey. And I I don't know what was your impression calling the game in an empty building. For the last three games, I think the point that you just made probably covers it for me, and that is, at least during the action, when you have a headset on, you know, I'm listening to you, I'm hearing myself, I'm hearing the producer, the director, I'm hearing a whole bunch of people going on. Uh, you know, people ask me many times during a normal situation, "Did you see that uh, thing that was on the, the jumbotron, the scoreboard?" What? No, I didn't see it. You know, you're so wrapped up in what you're doing. And I think the headset does make a difference. Uh, so there, there, during the play, there's not as much difference to me at all because I'm following the play. I'm intensely listening. Uh, I'm getting replays ready, getting in communication with the truck, uh, back and forth, talking with so many different people. There's a lot of things that go on that probably people don't even know they're going on. And it does take away from your concentration at time, or at least your focus point, uh, sometimes where it should be. Uh, but, uh, you know, 
once there are stoppages, intermissions, uh, yes. And when we go for our little walk in the concourse and there's mm. nobody there to be seen, yep. uh, you know, that interaction, you get a chance to talk to fans, people you've seen for years and years and years, or just people you're meeting for the first time. Uh, that That's where I notice the biggest difference. During the game, not so much. Yeah. I, I think it's the... The intermission, the the pregame buildup is weird, and I, like doing this, like we will from a studio this coming weekend. Which again, I I'm curious to see how it'll go, but that was the experience I think we both had over the summer. Is that you know, 90 minutes before puck drop, 60 minutes before puck drop, 30 minutes before puck drop. You just you don't get that adrenaline building. Like it, it's it, the buildup is not the same to puck drop. And okay. When we have the the anthem and the player introductions and we're ready to go, and it's, it's, the game feels normal. That's at least to me the, the thing that I've been struck by in the first week or so. But I, I actually think that of all the sports that have to do this, that have to play in front of an empty building, hockey's actually probably best suited for it because there are very few stoppages, relatively speaking. Um, the the crowd in the run of play up until a goal is scored or up until there's a you know a, a scoring chance or some sort of frenzy of, of some kind i feel like is quiet for the most part and they're watching the game like you go go to montreal right and during play it's really quiet in the building like nobody's having conversations so to me as i'm as i'm watching back the games for the first week even separating from the artificial crowd noise that's that's pumped in in the background it doesn't sound like they're in this hollow building with no people in it. It actually sounds somewhat normal, which is really great. The biggest adjustment for me is my routine leading up to the game. In the past, we would get, I would get to Staples Center at approximately, let's say, 3.30. We would have... For a 7.30 game. For a 7.30 game. Uh, approximate time of our production meeting, 4.30, 4.45. That goes until about 5.15. Go to the press lounge, eat, chat it up with a few people, go up to the booth, leisurely, you know, that type of stuff. Now I'm getting to the game for while we've been playing 7 o'clock games. I'm getting there right around 5 p.m. My prep has already been done at home. Our production meetings have already taken place via Zoom right after the King's Skate in the morning. So by noon, 12.30, our production meetings are complete. Still have prep time, but doing all that prep time at, at home. Eat at home before I get to the arena, which is completely different. Again, no press lounge meals, those types of things. So... Uh, I think I'm in my own little ball, my just my own little circle right now, uh, more so than than the normal routine that I would go through. So I find the routine, it, it, to me, it's more efficient in a lot of ways. We're not battling as much traffic, and that's just because traffic isn't quite at the level it is in L.A. You know, on a normal like usually when I for a seven thirty game, I used to leave my house at three, and. I like I wouldn't want to leave even any later yeah. than that. Get there at six thirty, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Right, because like if I left at three fifteen, I'd be stuck in a, a worse jam up on the one hundred and five, and 
like it would I would get there at four. If I leave at three, I get there at three thirty. Like yeah. I save fifteen yeah. minutes by leaving fifteen minutes earlier. Mm-hmm. So now I'm leaving the house at no three thirty. No, no later. I left at three forty five. I picked up a sandwich to go. Uh, Jersey Mike's again. Like I'm I'm addicted to that place. And uh, I, t- well, I I drove into uh, we use a different parking garage than we have before because we have to be separate from the uh, the hockey personnel, even the the ice crew, a lot of whom are uh, staff, office staff for the Kings. I mean, everybody's kind of pitching in, um, like folks who work in marketing or hockey development or community relations or global partnerships. Like everybody is pitching in. To try to make this thing work, um, so we have to be separate from those people because they're tested. They're part of the the team's testing regimen, and we are not because we are in that group three in the media area, separate from everybody else. So we're parking in a different garage. We go up to get COVID test uh, rapid test done through Fox Sports Net at the. You know, there's a little table uh, behind the broadcast compound. I'm just sitting there in the parking garage on a chair, <laughs> eating my sandwich. That's my press meal. <laughs> and I walk in at, I don't know, 4.30, 4.45. I used to go into the TV truck before every game. I don't do that now. I want to limit my interactions there. But I'm with you. It's In some ways, it's more efficient because I'm not spending as much time in traffic. I'm not worried about um, you know production meeting at a certain time. We get that done in the morning. Like, I, I maintain that there are things, and this is beyond work, right? This is beyond the, the job of calling the game. I maintain that there are things that we can take from our daily lives that we will adopt when the pandemic is done, and we will continue to do when the pandemic's done. And I think changing up the routine might be part of it, for me at least, you know, for you. The one thing I do miss is that 10, 15, 20 minutes after I normally eat at Staples Center before the game and then just interact with the other media to kind of bounce ideas around and, you know, maybe get a different perspective than you bring to the game, which always helps. You know, for instance, more specifically, let's just say uh, uh, a guy like, uh, like, like Jesse Cohen who throws out this weirdest, weirdest, weirdest (laughs) idea you're ever going to hear in your whole life. And then you go, well, well, okay, let me think about that. And it, it gets it gets the, the, grain, the brain moving a little bit. Yeah. And, yeah. and then the visiting team, you know, the other broadcasters. Yeah. I, I had a phone call with Mark Moser, who does the TV for uh, Altitude Sports. And that was nice to get, you know, just a quick phone call with him driving into Staples Center and just, you know, what's going on with the team, what's different, you know, some lineup changes. And it caught, you know, there was a lineup thing that I didn't have ready on my board. Okay, I sorted that out. So in that sense, yeah, it's a little bit different. We may have been able to get that uh, in a little bit more detail. Um, yeah. And also just the opposing coach scrums. Like, it's, our usual home routine doesn't involve that with getting information from the road team because it's so weird that the road team skates at Toyota Sports Center. But on the rare occasions, you know, like last year Pittsburgh was in town and, you know, Mike Sullivan did an extended media availability at, at Toyota Sports performance center and Sidney Crosby was down there he did an availability and you know it's you you get a little bit from even those interactions it's you know, small things it's nuanced but you do miss that did Mark uh, tell you that uh, Colorado was fast he didn't tell me that <laughs> okay um, 
Okay. I found out in the first five <laughs> minutes of that game, though. <laughs> yes. That's a, that's a pretty good team. Um, they uh, <laughs> they have some good players on that team, though. Yeah. <laughs> that McKinnon guy can skate a little bit. It wasn't interesting, though. We talked about it during the game, was how, how a player like Trevor Moore and Elias Anderson, because they can keep up, even more so than a Carl Grundstrom who was on that line, they helped shift that game for the Kings. They really did because uh, just the pace they're able to play at. Again, considered fourth-line players. I know Trevor moved up into the third period for a few shifts. But, uh, you know, that's that's where hopefully the Kings are going, where overall team speed will get there. Uh, but, yeah, to match up against a team like Colorado, you're probably going to be not as fast, not as quick, but but can get up to their pace. Yeah, and... I mean, it, it goes to show in this league, you could play with a variety of different styles and still have success. I mean, the, the Kings did that last year when they kind of slowed down the Colorado team and, and beat them a couple times. And even in the game on, on Tuesday, they did a little bit of that. One weekend to the season, I, I don't know about you, I, I'm noticing that the the quality of play has been fine maybe a little bit of a dip like you know the preseason usually gets guys back into game rhythm and um and flow and pace and all that and and somebody said uh, I, I forget who but it, it was in reference to um both the the east and the the north divisions because there's been so much parity like they've been series splits for the most part to begin the season that nobody has found their game fully quite yet and it's a kind of a mishmash and it's great because everybody's beating each other <laughs> to start the season. You have no clarity in the standings a weekend. Like usually you figure out, okay, which team is good to start a year, even in a shortened season. We have zero clarity as to what's going on to the beginning of the season. At St. least, Louis, at least out East. Yeah. St. Louis wins four, one loses eight, nothing. Right. <laughs> uh, Rangers, the uh, devils had kind of a similar thing. Buffalo, Philadelphia, yeah, you know, yeah. just wax, and then the other team right back the way. The one thing I'm noticing, I, and I obviously we're limited in who we're watching more so, I think the goaltending has been okay, yeah. and everyone kind of talks about that, and rightly so, regarding, you know, the argument in baseball, who's the pitchers or the batters, who, who, takes, who takes longer at the beginning of the season to get going. And most people felt it was goaltenders. I, I, I haven't no, certainly haven't noticed anything. I, I know Cal Peterson after his first start mentioned uh, the long shot, which was a, a well set up shot, right? You know, power play, traffic in front. But how he struggled, he didn't. He saw the shot. He lost the pass in traffic. So he, you know, just where the puck was moving and from what side to the other, and and so and traffic is one thing goaltenders always talk about. And that was that was very well put by Cal post game on on his discussion of you know how you just sometimes you're screened not at the shot but you're screened at the pass and that that forces a whole scenario of dominoes to go into effect where he was not able to really pick up the shot but overall you know I think the goaltending has been fine I, I right. have not noticed that type of. Uh, rust i guess you would call it compared to the other players well I, I think again you know going back to the idea of what are we going to take from this pandemic time and maybe apply going forward i don't think we need five six preseason games i really don't i mean maybe one or two just to, for an example like that where okay a goalie needs you know there's only so much you could do in practice where your own teammates are somewhat predictable yeah get 
two preseason games and be able to start one goalie one night, one goalie the other night, and have them play the whole game instead of swapping a mid-game or, or something along those lines, right? I, I, the idea that you need five or six and that you need, I don't know, what, 60 guys or more at, at a training camp to me, all these teams were just fine coming out of their training camp. And, and the, yeah, the waiver wire's been a little bit more active than maybe a usual start to the season, but... I don't know if I need, you know, three and a half weeks of training camp and 60 guys, most of whom you know are never going to make the team, yeah. right? I, I think, Ali, it's to me, it's it's the uh, the thing that comes to mind there once again, which which normally comes up in a, a negative context is salary cap. Mm-hmm. In the past, without salary cap, 60 guys at camp was okay because, you know what, uh, you had five or six guys that you didn't know and you needed to get them into games. I'm in agreement with you now. Now you don't need that. You know 92% of your team. What did you, you know 99% of your team because it's based on contracts and salary cap mm-hmm. and that really can't shift that much. So you don't need that audition time. Um, and that's that's a shift that perhaps the, the league will adjust to. Yeah. You know the one guy who I think benefited big time from um... – the training camp or maybe the, the summer development camp um, was Alex Iafalo, who was a relative unknown uh, the summer of 2017 and impressed at the summer development camp and then came in and won the job on the top line. Now, maybe through, you know, the, the standard two and a half week process or maybe even just the process of, you know, maybe he would have had to wait in an environment like this and play in the AHL to start. Maybe he would have won a job in training camp. I don't know with a, with a shortened roster, but something tells me that these hockey guys they know in the front offices they know what they're doing. They know how to identify talent. They see a guy who's going to play at the NHL level, and they like they're not fooled. I, I'm I'd be hard pressed to find anybody who would tell you with a straight face. And maybe I'm just making an assumption here that you need three and a half weeks to evaluate. Yeah. whether a guy can make the team. You know, I, I, if we look to the people that would hurt the most, it would still be that young player, the, exactly what you're talking about with Iofalo. So from the Players Association, uh, I'm sure the veteran guys would say, we don't need the games. The exactly. young players would say, I just want that one extra shift to show that I can make that breakout pass or yeah. I can follow up the play. I can do that in a game situation. Uh, which is different than the practices that coaches see me in. And it's that old story of give the coaches reasons to keep you on the roster. And uh, those are going to be eliminated with fewer preseason games. But but overall, and, you know, having said what I said about, you know, not having the time to get that audition and salary cap, I mean, the Kings, for instance, are in a situation where they don't, don't really have to worry about that as much as most teams yeah. because the cap is not a big issue right now in where the Kings are and the stage there are as a franchise. Yeah. I, I'm I, overall, though, impressed by the quality of play. I think, yeah, there are some sleepy moments in maybe the first period of the first game. You're, you're still feeling each other out a little bit, but these are professionals. Uh, and, you know, it's not like you're – I think if you were in a situation like Ottawa last year where they were fielding a team of – mostly young players and a lot of whom were getting their first taste of the NHL. Yeah. Then maybe you need a little bit more preseason time, but otherwise, I mean, there hasn't been a team that I've said, maybe Chicago right this year uh, with the way that they've gone and about their quasi rebuild there. Like that's the only team where I'm saying, maybe they need a little bit more time, but 
otherwise, I, I think these guys are professionals. I, I, I have a couple storylines I want to bounce off of you. Um, just for the first week of observation here, watching games. Um, and, and I'm curious to hear what your, you know, first observations are from around the league or what sticks out to you in terms of storylines. Um, first one for me is the waiver wire. And, uh, I don't know if it'll ever be as fraught and exciting as it's been this year because of how the taxi squads are set up. We were asked for, um, for season predictions for, for Fox Sports West and, and what we're interested in watching this year. And I said the trade deadline. Uh, both for what the Kings might do, but also you know what it might look like. How many players go to Canada? Uh, how many players you know get get moved around this year at all? I, I actually found it funny that that uh, you know there there was a situation. I'm sure it's not funny for Troy, but Troy Grosnick might be the shortest tenured goalie in LA Kings history, and this is the same team that had Yutaka Fukufuji in goal. Uh, Grosnick was on the opening night roster, and 24 hours later, he was claimed on waivers. Just because of the way the taxi squad works. Uh, <laughs> that's, and I'm still kind of like, there are transactions every day on the waiver wire that, and decent players too that are being moved around right now because of the way the roster situations work out. Yeah, and that's going to continue for a while. And I, I know that there's probably a, a lot of things we can look at and, and, and criticize and, and go back and forth. But, uh, you know, there's always the, there's the give and take that are needed to get these things done between the ownership and the players association. Mm-hmm. And both sides look at things a little bit differently. And that's something that, uh, you know, they have to shuffle out. And, and, and I'm sure there's going to be certain players that it's going to hurt and certain players it's going to benefit. Uh, the one thing that sticks out to me, and it's something I, I've talked about in the past, no big deal. I don't lose any sleep over it, but, Selection of postseason awards and trophies. I've been a proponent in the past of at least having an MVP for each conference. And then, you know, if you want to go ahead and select the final Hart Trophy winner, go ahead. But, you know, maybe come up with different categories or or names. This year would be, I think, the proper year to have an MVP in each division. Because you're only playing that division for the full. Now, whether that stays around for future years, maybe not. And why would you just change it for one year? Uh, but at least, it, it, you know, how am I or how am I going to pick coach of the year? That That's right, the one vote right. I get. I, yeah, I, I will keep an eye on it. That leads me to my other point, Alex. And again, it's not necessarily storylines. It's just, again, how it's affecting me. I really do find myself now only watching the Honda West. That's 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 who I watch now. Uh, if there's a game on Saturday or Sunday afternoon and I'm working out, yeah, I'll put it on the iPad and I'll, I'll watch it while I'm I'm working out. And if it's an East Coast game, that's fine. But I'm finding myself just just looking for the Honda West Division games, uh-huh. and that's it. And I'm I'm almost neglecting. Even more so than most years, the other divisions. I'm forcing myself to watch uh, the East Coast games just because I know that if I if I'm you know just locked in on kind of where we're at in our universe, that I, honestly it doesn't matter what happens in the other divisions. Like we, we're not playing them; they're basically not even in the same league. 
But I'm with you. I, you know, every year the NHL does unveil an all NHL team. It's it's not a big award, um, but there is an all league yeah. team and there's an all rookie team. Uh, I wouldn't mind if they had like an all division kind of thing, and then league wide you could have an all rookie team. But I think that would actually be kind of nice. I mean. So you could find sponsors year. for those. Oh, oh, oh. hey, got to pay the announcers. Signs. You got to pay the announcers. You were dropping the uh, the division title sponsor name just casually there. That's. We, I'm a, are, it's, I think I'm in the minority here, but I feel that if there is a company out there that feels that the National Hockey League is as important to them as they feel that they will spend dollars with the National Hockey League to put their name and brand a certain aspect of our game, I'm all for it. I'm fine with the all the extra advertising because most of it this year is not even to try to make money as a league. It's to recoup right. money. Like when fans walk in the door at Staples Center and you see Staples branding everywhere and you see Toyota branding everywhere, you see Spectrum branding, all the sponsors for the Kings, right? Well, those eyeballs aren't there. Those impressions, the amount of times you're seeing that logo or some slogan or whatnot, just it doesn't exist. So, you know, when you see those virtually imposed ads on the ice mm-hmm. or on the glass that but some of them are sponsors for the telecast directly on, on Fox Sports West. Some of them are make goods, uh, in my understanding, to the team so that those eyeballs get to see those logos. And a lot of the teams who are doing the helmet sponsors this year, it's not to make money. Nobody's you know, getting more cash like uh, the the. the uh, the Penguins, PPG, right? It's the sponsor of their arena. Well, they're putting it on the helmet not to make more money. It's just, well, well, people aren't entering the PPG arena anymore. So now you got to see it on the helmet every time. And and luckily, it seems like most partners around the league are are welcoming that idea that, okay, you know, we'll, we'll use this as a make good this year. And then we'll figure it out once things go back to normal for next season. I actually like how the Kings are doing. And this is not just, you know, me talking as a Kings employee. I like that they went in a different direction with their helmet sponsor and kind of attached a uh, a cause or a purpose with it. And and these, this one does have dollars attached to it, is my understanding. The the Cal Hope sponsorship on on the helmets for the Kings um, to to encourage uh, you know mental health awareness and the resources available from the state of California. Like if you're gonna do something like that seems pretty good to attach kind of a, a meaning to it and. A little bit more than just, oh, some corporate sponsor was slapping their logo on a helmet. That's kind of nice to me. Yeah, it's fine. It's great. It's in it, you know, well, especially in our times now where yeah. that focus is probably needs to be focused on a little bit more than, than normal. And you do it that way. But uh, yeah, let's, again, I'm not, of course, there's going to be a balance you're looking for and striving for, but uh, logos on sweaters are coming. Uh, I'm not so sure. Oh, they're coming. I it's coming. I just, I think Gary Bettman and like all those, Bill Daly, all those guys are kind of a little, a little guarded when it comes to that. Like they're, remember the playoffs expanded for the bubble and they've been adamant, even though it probably could make them more TV money if they expanded to 20 or 24, it could make them more money. And they've said adamantly, at least Gary has, yeah, we're not doing it. That's more of a competitive nature issue meaning you're changing the how the playoff teams are selected yeah, and yeah. that's that's affecting the competition 
you know, putting a shoulder patch on to me is not affecting the competition. Yeah. I mean, practice jerseys have them. I just, <sighs> yeah, no, it's, I don't know. you know, Alex from TV. I mean, I remember back in the day <laughs> when they started to put the score and time on the, on the screen. Oh yeah. Oh no, that's too much. To, oh, it's awful. <laughs> man. Oh man. Now you hear people, I want to see more graphics. I can't. Right. Yeah. So. No, Give me the shots on goal and yeah. when the uh, when NBC yeah. shows up and they don't have the shots on goal coming off their scorebook. Where are the shots on goal? I yeah. No, it's and there's an evolution process and you know change is always met with a little bit of hesitation usually, but uh, it takes a while to get used to things and then sometimes things are weeded out because they don't work. Yeah, but it, you know probably try it and see how it goes. Yeah, it's. It's it's weird, like our our yep. current existence. But we could bring back pictures of Derek Armstrong playing in Europe. Oh my God! As a billboard, <laughs> a and we could billboard. you know we could use those. Listen, the ice at least it's still white because there are a lot of leagues in Europe that like every single inch of the ice is sold, and maybe that subsidizes the team enough to pay them their salaries. But luckily for us, we're not in that predicament at the moment. We're not in that bad of shape. I know the league will have to make up some money, but we're not in that bad of shape. I, we're all kind of clamoring to get fans back in the building. I actually saw a, uh, a great idea in Canada. Uh, I'm going to steal it from them, from the Tim and Sid show on Sportsnet. They had this great um, proposal that before paid fans come back in, like season ticket holders and whatnot, that the first people in Staples Center should be vaccinated healthcare workers. And I'm just, wow, what a, what a great idea. Like, even for 10 bucks a ticket, like, whatever the, the minimum cost to get them in there. Um, cause, and you think about it, even in L.A., there are a lot of vaccinated healthcare workers out there already. I mean, you've got thousands who would love to see a hockey game. I mean, not even just hockey. The Lakers, the Clippers, USC, UCLA, anything. I mean, and beyond that, I, I would love the messaging it would send to – those who are hesitant to get a vaccine, hey, this could be you. You want to enjoy live sports again? You want to be with friends again? This could be you. And I like, I understand there are you know limitations, and you got to take precautions because there's still a lot that we don't know. You know, maybe everybody wears masks. You keep the numbers limited. You don't have to fill the building to capacity. Like nobody's asking for a you know sellout crowd of nineteen thousand healthcare workers in the building. Um, but I saw over the summer that Staples Center was the first arena to receive accreditation from the Global Biorisk Advisory Council, and they certify buildings and processes that uh, that are kind of at a high standard for cleaning and disinfection and infectious disease prevention. And I don't know about you, and, and granted, <laughs> it's a little bit different for us walking around an empty Staples Center, but uh, like I feel safe walking in the building. I feel safe using the restroom there, um, you know, even just walking past some of the ushers and security, like beyond the fact that we have a lot of space to work in, like, I feel like there's a lot of separation, uh, you know, both from the tier two personnel, tier three or whatever, but like, I, I don't interact with anyone to go call a game other than walking into the booth and interacting with you and, and Donna, our stage manager, and very briefly with uh you know one of the utilities who helps out with that so i like i know there are uh, a variety of health and safety concerns to be had but if we truly believe that 
you know, vaccines are the way out of this and that health uh, of those who are vaccinated is, um, you know, probably at a much, much lower risk. I say, why not? Um, you know, if you can explore that possibility, I, you know, I'd love to know what the, what the limitations are from a reasonably safe perspective, but let's, you know, let's do it. Let's find a way. Cause just, just saying no to me is just kind of giving up on the idea that, that, uh, you know, even those who get a vaccine are just kind of waiting for everybody else to do it for another eight, nine, 10 months without any sort of reward for not only the work that they've done, healthcare professionals, but also the the fact that, you know, they stepped up to something that was not mandated of them to get. And, and now they are part of the cohort that are going to help get us out of this. No, I think, I think it will be one of the longer lasting positives that will come out of this. And that will be, and we've touched on this a few times in our discussions, recovid is just how the respect will increase. And, and I think it, it will be maintained for the people, especially the health workers who put themselves. I mean, they put themselves. You talk about front line. They're mm-hmm. right there. I, I know they have PPE and they've got, you know, they're all bundled up and everything. But uh, just, you know, going to work every day and knowing that you're going to be in contact with, uh, I think all of us are going to have. A, a better respect and one way to show respect is what you're talking about right there what they brought up in Canada is uh, you know let's let yeah let's let's separate those people and give them the due that they deserve because Find a way. Oh, man they they've it's a it's a still small over. reward gotta, yeah yeah it's it a is. small reward all things considered right it's a it's a small gesture and and there, there's also some logistics that are going to go yeah, on sure. too but 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 it it will be a learning process too for a building like Staples Center. No doubt. You know, How do you go from yeah. having nobody there yeah. and where it's unsafe to have any fans in the building to yeah. welcoming people back? Well, why why don't we have a trial run here with people who we know to be kind of at, at far far far? I'm not going to say no risk, but yeah. at much 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 lower risk of getting sick. Yeah. Why and why can't we have this as a trial run? And it was interesting to me. You know, I've, I've watched uh, some of the videos regarding Staples Center and their preparation. Uh, you know, the way like door knobs or touch points like that are treated yeah. with uh, solutions, meaning like a chemical solution or actually the way they're even made, the hardware is made to make sure that contagions are not able to stay on that surface. Yeah. And that's that's very interesting to me. That's, you know, I... We 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 as a society we we we're devastated by what's happening, but there's also people that will come up with new ideas. Right, we got to figure out a solution. Yeah, you can't. It's just the answer isn't just no forever. You got to find solution, even if it's not a perfect solution. Like we've got to we got to find something, or we've got to you know explore processes. Because in a you know in a controlled environment you know everything sounds great, but until you actually do it in person, <laughs> there's no way of knowing whether it'll actually work. So I, that that's just my two cents. That's my piece for you know going forward and and getting people back in the building because eventually we are going to have to do it, and eventually somebody like you 
listening at home is going to have to take a risk of some point, of some kind, to come into the building, right? The first time you walk into that building, you are taking a risk. Now, it's a much, much, much lower risk, assuming you're vaccinated. But nonetheless, it exists. That's reality. Uh, I, wa- I want to pivot here, and uh, I want to take some listener questions, because we haven't done that in a long, long time. Um, what do you say we take some listener questions here? Well, uh, I-, I asked this morning to see if we can get some here. Let's see. I'm just scrolling through. A lot of Kings-related ones here. Uh, like, okay, okay. Here's Josh Greenberg. How's it been being back at Staples Center? Uh, what is your opinion of the first three games? Uh, what needs to change with the team? I'll, I'll, I'll even just add my own question in there. Of, of what do we think of, of this version of the LA Kings in 2021? Uh, it's, uh, the next step has been taken. Uh, and I read one of the questions earlier about timing. Meaning, are the young players going to mature and evolve to a point where they're going to be able to add to a championship caliber team with the veteran guy still able to help? So, Kopitar, Quick, Carter, Dowdy. Are those guys going to, Brown, are those guys going to still be around when... The next wave is there. So back to this season, the next step has been taken. Unless things dramatically shift, the moves have been made already. So now we can start concentrating on on what's going on. 56-game schedule, three games, it's still too early as far as getting a read on what's happening. the only thing to me, it, it, you know, the generation of quality offensive chances is an area that every team looks at, more specifically with the Kings. Going, making that transition from a shot volume team, which the Kings were great at last year, to a team that maybe gets less shots, but at the same time, they're coming from a higher quality area, a higher danger area, which helps improve the finishing percentage. So... That's that's an area I'm continuing to look at. I, three games in, I have not. It happened third period against Colorado, game three. But in it, it, last the four check, there were games. Maybe remember Alex last year on the road, especially early oh, in the season. Yeah. The Kings dominated on the road for like two periods. There were they, games. they were just dramatically outplaying, the, and then but it was all based on a four check. Mm-hmm. And I, you know mm-hmm. that just that's kind of slipped away. So there's a transition period here where the Kings are looking to get more danger on attack because of the up tempo and the higher skilled players. At the same time, that that forechecking part of the game probably is never ever going to go away from the NHL. It, it's yeah. when you ask any player, any coach before a game, which well, get the puck in deep, we got to get our forecheck going. Well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, that's 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 just one area that you know I hope will balance out. And become a little bit more efficient with the Kings. What were we talking about last week that Tampa had to learn? And I think part of that, you know, beyond the, okay, we got to get bulkier. We got to get tougher to play against. But part of that was their forecheck. Yeah. And getting that going. The bulkier player puts more priority and emphasis on the forecheck than a dancer does. So then it, by changing your personnel, you automatically change slightly the approach the team's going to take or, 
It'll change how effective the team will be. And that's internal. The players have to recognize that. We can look from a high and the, they have to realize that, you know what? Instead of swooping for the puck here, I'm just going to make contact. And it might not create a chance right now, but it might help as the game goes along. And, and you know, so change. And, and the Kings are kind of going, right? In all honesty, the Kings are, they're trying to get more tempo and more pace. So that's probably why the forecheck is, you know, maybe not at the at the point they would like it to be. Yeah. There were, there were games, I think it was Calgary, where like they out, outshot them like 20 to 3 in a period. And I mean, yeah. yeah, shots on goal are not, you know, always I, an accurate reflection. I, I can tell you they this. They just dominated. Yeah. Oh, man. There were games that just but eyeball test, Alex. I haven't yeah. looked at numbers. Mikey Anderson. Mm-hmm. I think he is a solid, in control. There were four checks against Colorado where he, he the pace was, you know, he had to adjust to that. But I, I'm just looking at his game and I eyeball test only. I don't know what his plus minus is right now. I don't know what his numbers are. I don't, I'm not looking at that. I'm just looking at can he be a part of a, a, a group going forward? And after three games of this season, uh, to me, it appears that he can be a big part of that. I had a note from, uh, I want to, it was like the first three or four days of training camp, and Tom McClellan singled him out and said he had made the team. And like, oh, it's okay. very rare that a coach that early in a training camp, even as short as this one was, would say for a specific player, oh, yeah, he made the team. Right? <laughs> so that's, a, that's about as high a compliment as you can get when you're a rookie. Even more than Jim Fox's eyeball test? Even more That's so a than higher, that. The eye- <laughs> well, well, remember, we're far away. It's always easier up there. <laughs> it definitely is. Uh, Tom Moody asks, happy inauguration day, which is when we're taping this. When on the road, is breakfast acceptable all day? Have a good day to you both. Haven't had a chance yet. Haven't had a chance yet to try the sausage McMuffin. <laughs> I hear really. You've never had a sausage McMuffin. I've never had one. How? And friends of mine have told me that this is. You know, I've said it before on my deathbed. If there was a, you know, Big Mac, I haven't had a Big Mac in thirty years. <laughs> but, Come on, Jamie. But no, thirty. I have not had a Big Mac in the. But if I were given the opportunity, that would be my choice. And maybe second is this. Sausage McMuffin thing because mm. I ha- I haven't tasted it yet, but I hear it's you need to try good. the so McGriddles. We're not on the road right now, but um, and some, although I think they backed off right now because of the difference in who's coming up at what time, and but the, they're not serving it all day long. But I can't wait for the time they start serving it all day long. Oh, the the press the sausage, meal? yeah, no, no, sausage McMuffin. I, I oh yeah, I think they're still well, doing it. Select. Outlets, because I stopped the other day. The reason I have not tried it is because I stopped at two separate McDonald's locations and they did not have it after 11 o'clock. We know the McDonald's reps in SoCal. We've met them at at the sponsor meetings. We got to got to get on their case. That's that's we got to we got to get that going. Uh, I would say the well to to that end, actually, our favorite meal at Staples Center in the in the press room is the breakfast. I don't know about you. At least it is for me. My my favorite meal at the Staples Center press room is the breakfast. So when we have like a one o'clock Saturday game or something like that, we get breakfast as the press meal. 
and it's it is my favorite thing. But you still have a bowl of ice cream for your my dessert. My favorite with meal is any meal that ends with ice cream <laughs> with Oreos crushed on top of it. <laughs> is that the thing you're most looking forward to? And we can go inside the Chick Hearn press room again. Is the ice cream machine? I think that by far, maybe the only thing. <laughs> so don't hear, listen to what I said earlier about yeah. talking with all the various media exactly. and the town no. broadcasters. No, no. It's the ice cream. It's the ice- For breakfast, mind you. Soft serve. So, well, yes, it's, it, it is specifically the soft serve ice cream because we've gone over our, our power rankings of the ice cream. But then you get to the, mush it up. Venues. You get to mush it up with the Oreos, and yeah. that's, that's, the, that's the key. If the, the Oreo machine's part. working, because sometimes it doesn't, like, the, the, the cookies dispenser. are too big. They're not yeah. pre-crushed, and the dispenser doesn't work properly, and Gets then you clogged get up. really grumpy. It's like with the Kings, when the Kings are executing the one three one perfectly you're clogging up the neutral zone <laughs> that dispenser gets clogged up and it just prevents the it's, the attack of the oreo that's the first time i've heard that analogy <laughs> uh here's one nickname for andreas athanasiu i've heard the, the the grease lightning one was from detroit but i feel like we got to come up with something the greek freak from la greek freak well let's take it yes it is Giannis another league yeah Say that five times fast. More letters, but... Yeah, you know, exactly. When, when Andreas came into the league, we all looked at his name and we're... Gee. And of course, I'll butcher it now, but once you have it in front of you and once you see him a couple of times, it's it rolls off the yeah, tongue pretty good. It's actually pretty easy. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it, the, the, the advice I was given when I saw him in the AHL, so he played for the Grand Rapids Griffins when, when I was working in Utica, and it was, nice to see you, Athena, see you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I try to go with Ethan uh-huh. and just change the E to an A because a lot of people would go An Finisiu. Oh, yeah. Well, well, those it's, it's, it's the Canadians the that would do that. Yeah, well, okay. well, half in the Canada, league. it's not pasta; it's pasta. You don't buy a Mazda; you drive a Mazda. You goofy Canadians! I don't speak like that. <laughs> pasta. That's right. Like the guy in Boston. What about garage? Yeah, well, it, they say garage. They what? Garage. Really? Yeah, go to my garage. Oh my god. They uh, say. I should say we say. As a dual well, yeah, citizen, you're still Canadian. As a dual you're, citizen. These are still your people, Jim. <laughs> they you are. need to answer that they for are your people. Uh what, what else do we have here? Uh, this is a weird one from. There's an inside joke here. Maybe I'm not getting it from Tom Furman. What is the capital of Maine? I already answered that one online for Augusta. Okay. But then I said, you still have to listen to our podcast. And he said, yes and yes. So he's okay. he's in agreement. Okay. All right. I guess there wasn't an inside joke that I was uh, <laughs> not privy to. I do like the state of Maine. More, more, more likely than not, it's just because they have uh, L.L. Bean in that state. And I bought way too many things there when I when I visited there once. Uh, here's one from Mark Gilbert. Do you think the NHL would consider a Nickelodeon game like the NFL did to explain rules and enhance the game to youth? Uh, and like using team mascots to explain different rules or violations. Uh, I don't know about you, Jim. I, I flipped over to that game. Uh, Noah Eagle, who's the play-by-play voice on the radio for the LA Clippers, 
was calling the game with uh, Nate Burleson and a couple of Nickelodeon personalities. And I, like, I, I thought walking into watching that game that, oh, it's just going to be a whole bunch of fluff and they're not going to, you know, take the game seriously. They called the game straight. Like the play by play was still there. Yeah. The analysis was still there. They just, I felt like made it really accessible by exactly that explaining rules. And, um, I need to reread the rule book because I forgot about the (laughs) the guy exiting the box on the delayed penalty last night. This is my 30th 30th year as broadcaster, I believe. And in every preseason meeting that I've had with, with whatever outlet has been carrying the Kings, I have suggested rules games during the course of a season. Not every game, maybe once every 10 games. So, for instance, every time the whistle goes, if there's a rule attached to it, we would explain that. You know, And again, that's why it doesn't work every game. That doesn't why every 10, you just have to sprinkle them in there. Uh, when a penalty is called, we have a pre- made graphic, which gives the explanation of that rule, tripping, hooking, and whatever it is. And, and it might not be the whole rule. You just kind of pare it down, right? The abridged version. So you get the, the things that are important within that rule. Uh, and uh, usually, so the people who I'm speaking about know who they are, <laughs> my bosses, uh, look at me and say, great idea. And it never happens. Uh-huh. And it never has happened. And and you know what? I'll be honest, more specifically to Southern California. And I'm not talking about long-time Kings fans because they've been with us through thick and thin. And But there is a difference in, you know, how many people have actually put on a pair of skates percentage-wise of our population here in Southern California compared to Toronto. So maybe... We could, we could get more people to watch on TV or in person if every once in a while there was an outlet for them to go to find the rules in the context of a game. And, and that's, I know, I, I, I haven't even brought it up in that context of young kids, which is, it fits perfectly. Right. But it was just more just the, the, the viewer. And, and then maybe, you know, a long-time Kings fan, I'll be watching a game and say, you know what? Hey, hey buddy, come on over tonight. Normal circumstances, non-COVID. Mm. Hey, come on over tonight. We're going to watch this game. I know you don't know hockey, but this is one of the rules games they're doing. Come and join us. And maybe you get a new fan. Yeah. Or, or at the very least, you know, because I've heard, I actually think it's one of the uh, easier rules to explain is icing. I think it's just because it's not a, it, it it's not a rule that has any sort of, um, I guess, uh, relevance or, or even identical concept in any other sport, the idea of icing, right? You know, if you, if you throw the puck all the way down the ice, well, we don't want you doing that uh, without, you know, it actually being a pass intended for a teammate. It's like intentional grounding, right? Like, but it's not even that. It, that's yeah. the only rule that it, over and over people say, well, what's icing? What's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not that hard once you see it a couple of times. But, ba- you, know, you know, some I, of the nuances yeah. are difficult. Yeah, yeah. And, and then why didn't they call that icing? 
You know, there's a few areas where a defenseman will turn the wrong way sure. intentionally to stay away from touching the puck as it goes by, and, and that's why it gets confusing. To me, it's like a punt in football, but you change the rules to this. When you punt, uh, you, you're, you're just gaining ground, right? In hockey, you punt by icing, but you lose ground. Your, your, the faceoff does come back into the team that punted. It comes back into your zone because you don't want to give a team the opportunity to relieve pressure that easily. If you're going to relieve pressure with a non-skilled type of play, you must be penalized for that. And the penalty this, is face-off closer to your goal where if, you know, you win the face-off, then you have a chance to score. This goes back to the idea on a power play. I would love the uh, icing to be enforced. I don't, I don't understand why it isn't. Uh, if you're supposed to penalize a team, if they're supposed to be a man down, why are they then given the advantage of the ability to send the puck out without any consequence? Like why? Why is it easier then on the team killing the penalty than it was when they were at even strength when they hadn't committed a foul? That I've never understood. I'd like to change that. I'd like to put in an official motion to change that. I'm, I'm going to file. I'm going to file Tuesday night's game under protest, and I'm going to put in a motion to uh, to change the rules so that the icing is uh, in enforced on a penalty kill. We're going to table that for further discussion and analysis and research. <laughs> I want more scoring. That's what the offside rule was. What you have to, do this to year. you just have to. Eh, eh. Obviously, teams who are killing a penalty would stop doing it as much if the whistle went. But you also have to. You have to start worrying about too many stoppages of play. More stoppages of play, which you, normally you don't want. Normally you want to play free-flowing and moving from shift to shift, which cre- creates the energy and keeps the energy up. That's what normally you're looking for. Uh, for people, you know, say, well, we want more penalties called or, or let's do the full two minutes, right? So even if you score, the team still stays on the power play. Uh, and I understand that and more scoring, but you know what? There is a certain half-court format to power plays, which take away from the back-and-forth transition game of hockey, which creates that speed and energy. Mm. Because on power plays, more so than five-on-five or even strength, you enter the zone and then you stop and you go into a half-court attack, which slows the game down. Does it give you a better chance of scoring? Yes, it will. More goals will be scored if you have two full two minutes in the penalty box, regardless of scoring or not. But, you know, you've got to balance that in the context of 60 minutes and how many stoppages do you want and how much free-flow transition skating do you want. Yeah. I actually think the offside rule, like, it hasn't really come into effect yet in any of our games. Maybe there have been one or two entries where uh, where it was close and maybe in years past they would have whistled it, but, like, a skate, whether a skate was up uh, yeah. uh, above the ice or not. Honestly, I haven't noticed it. I, I like, and again, I haven't watched enough games from around the league to see if there's been any goal that would have been called back in in previous years. But like to me, it just seems like okay, yeah. it's it's normal. Like it, it hasn't impacted the game at all. I think, I, I think it does allow the skater who's potentially going to go offside under the old rule. It gives them 
you know, just one less thing to worry about to mm-hmm. keep his speed up. So then maybe on that attack or 10 seconds later, he's more involved in the play than he would normally would have been. But there's still going to be close calls. Yeah. Uh, whether the plane has been broken yet, regardless of whether the skate's on, they'll still be close. The one thing that will take away from that, Alex, is this, is that because of the institution of the rule last year where you're penalized with a penalty if you're wrong, mm-hmm. the chances of a coach asking for a review of that is dramatically decreased. Yeah. So, but you know, but, it's, it's fine with me. It's, you know, it's a, it's a tweak. I right. don't think it's as substantial as many people would have felt it would have been, it, yeah. but it's a tweak. I agree. And it's I agree. a positive well, tweak. I think one so. last one uh, from Nicholas Walker, who asks, with all the protocols and limits to gathering in place, how does a team build chemistry away from the ice? This would be a fascinating question, and maybe we'll have to interview a player next week. We'll see if we can arrange that for, yeah. for the podcast next week. But I, this is a fascinating question to me because so much we we hear about how teams bond is, you know, when they travel and they build camaraderie on the road. You, in theory, you don't have that this year. Everything is virtual. Everyone's kept separate. Like the only time that you're together is at the rink. That's it. Yeah. The one thing I look at is, first of all, is this. It's the same for every team. Having said that, there are teams that are more veteran-based. They already know each other more so than a team like the Kings that are bringing in younger and younger players and different tweaks to their lineup. So, point well taken. Point well taken. I, I wouldn't go as far as to categorize it as a huge competitive issue. but. It will affect different teams differently based on the roster makeup and how many guys have been around, uh, around for a longer period of time. But that's, that's, it's, we're going through it, Alex. Everyone is. Mm. Is the virtual meeting going to stay around after COVID goes away? I mean, in some form. No question. Maybe not, maybe not, you know, every day like we're doing it. No, but, but it's, it's going to stay around, right? There's a cost effectiveness to it, right? Right. So it'll stay around that way. Uh, I know we talked way, 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 way back, Alex, when COVID was just starting one of our... Again, I, the thing I, I remember of this was when video stores came out, and that's when they had video, they didn't have streaming. Mm. Be they kind, rewind. Up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, people felt that the theater industry would go away because people would no longer have to go to a theater to watch a movie. Regardless if it was, you know, release, you know, and you don't have to wait two months or two years to see it. Well, I think the the scientists out there, the doctors, you know, brought up the point that we are social animals as humans and we want to be around other people. And for that reason, people still went to movie theaters. They still congregated that way uh but i see a lot of uh, effects post covid that will be continued on and uh that still doesn't go away from the gentleman's point it, it's a, it's a really interesting it's a real interesting study of how you create i'm sure coaches and training staffs both the equipment and the medical are looking for different ways to create that environment where you can still bond because the best way right is after a game you either get together as a group you go have a few drinks 
whether it's water, whether it's soda, whether it's a beer, or sometimes, you know, teams would automatically go right back to their hotel in a back-to-back situation and eat as a group in a conference room. And those types of things are not going to be available for a while. Oh, I, I know already it impacts us and what we do because I would go to the TV truck before even our production meetings and kind of get a feel for what are they working on, what uh, you know, what technical limitations might we have for this show, you know, uh, what's the what's the other team doing, you know, maybe just get a couple of uh, you know if they need any requests from me buttoned up, and now it's very much show up, do the game, go home. Yeah, yeah, and, and there's not a lot of stuff in between. But you know, after. Alex, to me, it's just it's man that question really spurred. That's a great question or yeah. a great uh, observation. But to me, I find that now since we have our production meetings earlier in the day, even though we're not together, and you know, maybe the one part of my day I enjoy most was us getting together those production meetings and you know mm. jobs mm-hmm. back and forth and little tease here, little tease there, little joke here, and you get your work done. But And I think that still happens on the Zoom calls we have. But uh, I find that now that I'm – and this routine has been adjusted because of COVID and the, no longer the ability to get together in person once we get to the arena, we're having our meetings earlier in the day. And I think that fi- helps me prepare because now I have everything in front of me earlier than I normally would. And I'm just able to kind of maybe sort out my thoughts a little bit better. Well, I feel hopefully. like the show is is – buttoned up earlier in the day and that mm-hmm. helps the get yep. like again i am take i'm trying to take as many positives and yeah. i think that's one of them as many positives as possible during this time where we have to adapt we have to change and i think that's one of them just from our own that's inside baseball right of like you know we would do a production meeting at uh th- four something in the afternoon well now we're doing it at eleven thirty in the morning inside well, what? maybe that helps mel well, allen yeah Inside baseball, Inside Mel baseball. Allen. Yeah, uh, man, Red Bar. Love that. The uh, I, I I maintain that there will be things that that come out as positives of this. Yeah. But the Kings, uh, as we wrap up here, first road trip coming up. Every team is going to have to do it. Um, we know what it's like to be a part of the team's travel party. The plane will be more spaced out. The, uh, you know, everybody's on with a mask. The protocol spells it out that, you know, what used to be, you know, catered, um, you know, meal on the plane probably isn't happening. Probably guys are being told you eat before you get on the plane and because we're not going to serve on the plane. Or if we do, it's going to be, you know, much smaller scale than it was before Uh, you land like, you know, you're you're going straight to the hotel room. Uh, I, you know, just looking at athletes from other sports a lot more athletes are bringing video games with them on the road everybody's loading up their netflix they're bringing books to read yeah. you're basically in solitary confinement in between practices yeah. you can't That's sit it. around as a group of four and play cards nope or five or six usually they have they have a table set up already for card players so there's four that sit down there's also two or three that kind of hang around that group and watch yeah. or actually mm-hmm. ha- sit on the edge of the seat across the aisle and they're playing in the same game uh, those types of things will will not be able to be done, but uh, you know that's... maybe we'll talk to a player next week. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll see if that. we can get some yeah. insight into what was different know, about being on the yeah, road this year. I know Burakowski Bur- of the 
Avalanche, who didn't play in Game 3. He was asked, you know, because he was in the bubble last year, and the one thing he did say was it is different this year because you do get to go home every week or two weeks. And when you do go home, you don't go back to a hotel room. You go back to your home and your kids and your family uh, compared to the bubble where it was. So there's it's less restrictive, non-bubble, obviously just by definition. But, uh, man, just that question or that observation really did spur on a lot of interesting conversations mm. here on how we're going to go forward with that. Uh, it's it's fascinating. It's yep. a different year. It'll be no less challenging. The The eventual champion will have, will have persevered maybe even more so than they did in the bubble last year. Uh, and they will certainly be a worthy champion. But I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, what we get next week. Keep the questions coming, as always. Uh, we appreciate it. Thanks to our producer, as always, Jesse Cohen. Hit the subscribe button to get new episodes directly wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.